It's good to be here today. I know it's a freezing cold day outside, but it's nice and warm physically here, and the warmth of fellowship is great too. As we meet to worship God, so we hear our call to worship from the book of Ecclesiastes. Two are better than one, because together they can work more effectively. If one of them falls down, the other can help them up. But if someone is alone and falls, that's just too bad, because there is no one to help them. If it is cold, two can sleep together and stay warm. But how can you keep warm by yourself? Two people can resist an attack that would defeat one person alone. A rope made of three cords is hard to break. Our prayers of approach this morning are taken from the Baptist book, Gathering for Worship. Let us pray together. Lord God, whether we have rushed or taken our time in coming to church, we have come ill-prepared. You have invited us to meet with you. You have created space for time together that will affect all of us in all the other moments of the week. You have called us to take time to recall your love and mercy. Yet we have come in heedlessly, as if we were going shopping. We may even have lists in our minds things we want you to sort out, feelings and emotions that we want to gain and which will last us without too much effort. We've not prepared ourselves to worship. Stop us now and help us as we wander at the scope of your love. You care for each of us as if you care for each one alone. Help us to face you today, to receive what you want to give, and to wonder at your love. For this is the place, and this is the time. Here and now, God waits to break into our experience, to change our minds, to change our lives, to change our ways. To make us see the world and the whole of life in a new light. To fill us with hope, joy and certainty for the future. This is the place, as are all places. This is the time, as are all times. Here and now, let us praise God. Amen. The first reading is from the Old Testament, Job, chapter 16, verse 16, to chapter 17, verse 3, on page 514. I have cried until my face is red, and my eyes are swollen and circled with shadows. But I am not guilty of any violence, and my prayer to God is sincere. O earth, don't hide the wrongs done to me. 
Don't let my call for justice be silenced. There is someone in heaven to stand up for me and take my side. My friends scorn me. My eyes pour out tears to God. I want someone to plead with God for me, as a man pleads for his friend. My years are passing now, and I walk the road of no return. The end of my life is near. I can hardly breathe. There is nothing left for me but the grave. I watch how bitterly everyone mocks me. I'm being honest, God, except my word. There is no one else to support what I've said. The second reading from the New Testament is from uh, John, chapter 14, verses 15 to 27, page 138 of the Pew Bible. The promise of the Holy Spirit. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, who will stay with you forever. He is the Spirit who reveals the truth about God. The world cannot receive him because it cannot see him or know him, but you know him because he remains with you and is in you. When I go, you will not be left all alone. I will come back to you. In a little while the world will see me no more, but you will see me, and because I live, you also will live. When that day comes, you will know that I am in my Father, and that you are in me, just as I am in you. Whoever accepts my commandments and obeys them in the way is the one who loves me. My Father will love whoever loves me. I too will love him and reveal myself to him. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, Lord, how can it be that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, Whoever loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and my Father and I will come to him and live with him. Whoever does not love me does not obey my teaching, and the teaching you have heard is not mine, but comes from the Father who sent me. I have told you this while I am still with you. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and make you remember all that I have told you. Peace is what I leave with you. It is my own peace that I give you. I do not give it as the world does. Do not be worried and upset. Do not be afraid. Amen. The readings we heard this morning were those chosen by the Leprosy Mission Scotland for World Leprosy Day. I did extend them a bit because they just picked an odd verse here and an odd verse there and I thought a bit of context is helpful. And so we're going to start off with an extract from the sermon notes that TLM Scotland offered which describes the way that they understand advocacy. Advocacy is a political process by an individual or group which aims to influence public policy and resource allocation decisions within political, economic and social systems and institutions. It may be motivated from moral, ethical or faith principles or simply to protect an asset of interest. The most common form of advocacy today is what is known as social justice advocacy. The basic steps in which this takes effect include questioning the way a policy is administered, 
Setting an agenda by which significant political issues can be raised. Targeting certain political or religious systems which are not responding to people's basic needs. Engaging in dialogue with the proponents of such systems. Proposing alternate alternate policy solutions. And opening up space for public discussion and engagement. If that sounds like a mouthful to you, it sure does to me. That's what it says on the Leprosy Mission Scotland notes for today. And advocacy is our starting point. Leprosy Mission International runs 21 different projects in Bangladesh. And as I've already mentioned, Leprosy Mission Scotland chooses to partner specifically with Bangladesh. Of these projects, the Coordination for Advocacy and Networking Project is the only one in Bangladesh committed to the cause of the promotion and protection of the human rights of people affected by leprosy. So one organisation in Bangladesh concerned with the human rights of people affected by leprosy and that is funded by the Leprosy Mission. It's based in Dakar at the office and in the slums of Dakar they work alongside the Bangladeshi government and other NGOs serving a population of 4 million people through a leprosy control project. A particular part of that project is to ensure that women are given equal access to services. So the questions really that we are pondering today would be something like these. Why does TLM think that advocacy is so important? And why is it an important concept for us to think about in the context where we find ourselves? And how does our Christian faith lead us to understand the role of an advocate And what does that look like in our own lives? As I started to prepare for this week's service, I realised that I was in grave danger of getting into a hopeless model trying to make sense of some of the different images of divine advocacy that we find in the Bible. In some parts of the New Testament, we are told that Jesus is the advocate, and in others that the Holy Spirit is the advocate. And in others, that both are advocates. But we also have a doctrine of the Trinity that says the three persons of the Trinity are co-equal and co-eternal. So how can one part of God act as an advocate in relation to another part of God? Well, I didn't get very far with that. I just decided it was horribly confusing. And I didn't think it would be terribly fruitful for today. So what I thought we would do is to think a little bit more about how we can understand advocacy and then relate that to Christ and to the Holy Spirit in our own lives, physical and spiritual, and then beyond. The starting point is with the Greek word that the gospel writer chose to use and the way it would have been used in everyday Hellenistic, that means Greek, culture. 
The term used had a legal function and referred in everyday context to somebody who acted effectively as a defence lawyer in a courtroom. It's actually quite a short step from that to seeing how the image of Christ as advocate came to be linked with a courtroom view of atonement, whereby Christ would plead on our behalf before God. God portrayed sometimes as a kind of high court judge capable of passing a death sentence. It's interesting then, given that use of the word in everyday first century Greek, that when the the fourth gospel is translated into English, the image we are given of the Holy Spirit is more often rendered as a comforter or a helper. It's a much softer image than that courtroom feel that the word would have had in its everyday use. And I suspect that's a more helpful language to be using for us. The language of comforter and helper has a lot of difference in what that's all about. You see, the interpretive choices that biblical translators make are vitally important. You can shift the whole emphasis of a phrase or a story by choosing this word or that word. Because we have so many English translations readily available, we perhaps don't really appreciate the significance as much as we should. In most countries, you have a Bible in your language, and so somebody tells you what each word means. We have that privilege of allowing God's Spirit to guide different people to make different translations. And this living word is enhanced, surely, by the nuances of translation. And God can say new things to us that are subtly different as we read different translations of the Bible. So I want to suggest that playing with some of the words used in English to express the term advocate and the etymology of those words might actually be useful as we begin to tease out what advocacy in relation to Christ and in relation to the Holy Spirit might look like. So I'm not going to um, exposit or expound any of those scriptures today. I'm just going to have a bit of a play with some language as we listen to hear God speaking. So we start then with the word advocate, considering that's the word we were given. It has Latin roots, and it literally means one who speaks for. Why would somebody need somebody else to speak on their behalf? There could be many reasons And especially, I think, it's helpful to move away from that courtroom image to more everyday situations. It could be that we need an interpreter, a translator, to speak on our behalf in a language that we don't know. It could be that we we don't have the status or authority to approach a person or an organisation we need to speak to, or perhaps we feel hopelessly intimidated by that. It could be that we don't know how an organisation works, so we don't know how to get in there to speak to them, or we don't know how to express what it is. I think all of us sometimes just feel we can't speak for ourselves. 
and it will be so nice to have someone to speak up for us. This broader view of needing someone to speak for us moves us away from that idea of being on trial for something we have or haven't done but actually acknowledges that sometimes every one of us even those with 20 times as many letters after their name as I've got, and I've got too many, every one of us sometimes feels powerless and unable to speak up in all sorts of contexts for all sorts of reasons. So an advocate as somebody who speaks for us. The second word is intercessor. It's another word with Latin roots, and literally it means a go-between Inter, between, ses, or ses, sedet, something like that. Go. I don't know. I didn't do Latin. I just read the books. It's a word we use most often in the context of prayer made on behalf of other people. Prayer they may or may not have asked for. But it's also a word used in relation to the Holy Spirit who transfers our muddled and scrambled prayers to make sense before God. I think, though, that the idea of an intercessor as a go-between is subtly different from the idea of an advocate because it is a more clear sense of something going both ways here, which there isn't with the advocate. The intercessor can be understood a little bit as like a mediator who brings together the two parties and facilitates, or attempts to facilitate, discourse between them. In contemporary society, mediators are very much in demand, aren't they, Alison? (laughs) To help resolve disputes and sometimes to achieve out-of-court settlements rather than lengthy legal processes. I think there is a difference between the advocate who speaks for us and the mediator who facilitates discourse That involves us. The third word isn't Latin, it's Greek, and that is paraclete. And that's the word used in the fourth gospel. And it literally means somebody who is called alongside. And again, I think there's a subtle but important difference between that and the two words we've already looked at. So far, we've had the image of somebody who has more power than us, who speaks for us, and of somebody who acts as a go-between between us and the person with power over us. What we now have is an image of somebody who will come alongside us and walk with us as we begin to become empowered I think one of the differences between the paraclete is that they stay with us. And they are specifically for us. They're on our side, if you like. This isn't a neutral position. This is a position of taking a side. They can't be objective. They actually try to empathise with us, to put themselves in our place, to understand what it is like us. So three different elements then, or three different ways in which we can look at advocacy as speaking on behalf of, 
as acting as a go-between or as being a companion on the journey. If we study the scriptures carefully, we'll find each of those expressed both in relation to Jesus Christ and to the Holy Spirit. The passage from John which we heard seems to me uniquely to draw all of that into one place where Jesus speaks of God sending another paraclete. If the Holy Spirit is another paraclete, someone to walk with the followers, then presumably Jesus understands himself as a paraclete, one who accompanies those who are with him. But Jesus physically is going to leave them. That's why he's having this conversation with them. He's going back to his father. Now we need to be very careful when we're playing with word games because we can make things what they're not. And we need to be careful that we're not trying to demystify what is ultimately a very profound mystery about the relationship between God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. But there is something here going on whereby it seems that perhaps Jesus is more like the advocate and the intercessor, the one who speaks for, the one who acts as a go-between, and the Holy Spirit is more perhaps like a paraclete intercessor now, alongside us and acting as a go-between. You can push it too far, and I don't think that's helpful. But it seems that there is something of all of these within the Godhead. And it is a mystery. It's a mystery that God is simultaneously out there somewhere and inside us. That God is close at hand and far away. That God is beside us, and yet God is beyond us. I'm not sure it helps us to try to grasp fully that mystery because it is mystery, that's the whole point. But God somehow has all these characteristics of the advocate within the Godhead. Well, that's all very fine and nice, but what was the purpose of this other paraclete? Why does somebody come to walk alongside us? The farewell discourse of John's Gospel, of which chapter 14 lies at the heart, recognises that life for the fledgling church is not going to be easy, practically or spiritually, any more than life is easy nowadays. And the work of the paraclete is specifically this work of a helper or a comforter, as somebody who shares in the trials and anxieties of real everyday life. The paraclete will understand and participate in everything the disciples experience. When they're sad, the paraclete will be sad. So God will be sad. So people who think that God is impassive, sorry, I don't think so. When they rejoice, the paraclete will rejoice. God will rejoice. God will delight. And this isn't a kind of 
impotent empathy, just like, okay, you're sad, I'm sad, you're happy, I'm happy. Because God's spirit acts in accordance with God's character. And so this accompanying helper actually has the ability to transform the present and redirect it into a way that is more hopeful, more healthy, and if I can have a third H, more holy. You see, somebody who just walks beside us as we head towards disaster isn't a fat lot of use, is it? We need somebody who can see when we need a little bit of redirection. Who can link their arms through ours and say, come on, let's go this way, actually. Let's not go down that blind alley. Let's go this way. And it's not just a kind of cosy, feel-good relationship with God that we can go, oh, it's lovely. God loves me. It's not twee. It's not simplistic. It's rich and it's deep. And actually, sometimes it's really challenging. We talked last week about trying to keep in step with God's spirit. So if that spirit's arm is metaphorically through our arm walking along with us, then we try to keep going where God is going. We are helped to move on and to grow. That's all very kind of spiritual and and highfalutin. But what about at a down-to-earth practical level? If we are helped and comforted, how do we show that to others? If we understand ourselves to be the body of Christ in this place, a phrase we quite often use, if we say we are people in whom God's Spirit lives and that we walk with God's Spirit, what does that mean Monday to Saturday? Supporting the work of organisations such as the Leprosy Mission is an important practical response. We can do that with our money. We can do that with our prayers. And that's really important. But there's always that risk that that's a bit of an easy choice, a kind of a a cheap choice that costs us money but doesn't really affect our hearts or our minds or our daily lives. What about where we are every day? How does it make a difference to that? There are people in our church who are trained in mediation and advocacy, and some of those use that in their daily work, professionally, or in a volunteer setting. But do we know who they are? And do we support and encourage them? Or pray for them? Or I wonder, has God been nudging any of us to think how we could be that other helper to our neighbour? Not just the far away hypothetical neighbour of the song, but the neighbours around us. Who is it who needs somebody to speak up for them? Or somebody to act as a go-between where they feel powerless? It could be a very private one-to-one act of solidarity with somebody we know. Or it could be a call to give our time, our money and our energy to support a specific group of people living 
here in Glasgow. Asylum seekers, people with addiction, people who live in poverty, all sorts of people. You see, it's really easy that we go away from today saying, tick, done that, leprosy mission done till next year, or the next time we do it if it's not next year. Actually, this work of advocacy, as done by the Leprosy Mission in Bangladesh, is just as important here in Glasgow. No, we haven't got people with leprosy who don't have access to their benefits or whatever it is, but there are people in Glasgow who need similar help. Surely, if we believe that the Holy Spirit is our comforter and our helper then we should be inspired by that spirit to be helpers and comforters, advocates, intercessors and paracletes for others. Amen. When we join in prayer for others, we are engaging in the most basic and heartfelt form of advocacy as we name before God those for whom we are concerned. When I say the words, Lord, in your mercy, you're invited to respond with the plea, hear our prayer. So let us pray. God, our Father, we remember before you this morning those who have no voice or whose voice has been silenced by others. On this World Leprosy Day, we pray for all who are affected by this terrible disease, who suffer not only the pain of poverty and of illness, but of stigma, discrimination, and ultimately, rejection and loneliness. We pray for those who are working to change outdated attitudes to leprosy and correct the misconceptions that still surround this condition. May their voices be heard in the forums that matter, in village councils, in local and national governments and in the media. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for all who live with disability, who in the past were literally shut away, out of sight and out of mind and whose voices are still seldom heard. We thank you for those like the Spartacus campaigners who work tirelessly on behalf of all who live with disability, giving a voice to the voiceless, despite the personal cost to their own health.
Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for the elderly who in our society are seldom listened to and frequently ignored. Especially we pray for those who have no family members to speak up for them when dealing with health or social work professionals. Help us to be alert to the needs of elderly friends and neighbours and to be ready to speak for them if they need us. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for refugees and asylum seekers, many of them here in our own city, who literally have no voice because they don't speak English or who for cultural reasons are discouraged from speaking in public and so can never tell their story. We give thanks for the Scottish Refugee Council and from our friends from local churches who act as interpreters and advocates on their behalf. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for the poor, both here in Scotland and around the world, who are endlessly spoken about, but rarely get the chance to speak for themselves. How alienating it must be to hear those who have never experienced poverty themselves theorising about why you are poor and yet never be invited to share your own hard-won insights. We pray for those involved in the Poverty Truth Commission, which has put people who have experienced poverty firsthand at the very heart of the process of searching for solutions. And we pray that the insights gained from this process will be acted upon and families be lifted out of poverty into a life of dignity and equality. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And Father God, when our words fail and we don't know what to pray, Hear the pleas of all our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you care deeply for each and every one of us. Thank you that Jesus touched and healed those who were outcast just because they had left Reach out to touch and heal them again today. Bless all those striving to bring healing and justice to people affected by leprosy around the world. Give them the skills, wisdom and strength they need to care for those who need help just because they have leprosy. Move 
to tackle injustice and to give, act and pray in support of the work of the Leprosy Mission as it answers your call upon it. May we one day see a world where nobody is disadvantaged in any way just because they have leprosy. May we see a world without leprosy. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.